get help because it's not going to get any better. It is not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. And there is nothing shameful about asking for help because, well, like I did, and I did, I'm not going to lie, I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. I was angry, angry that I was even at that call because, like I said, I wasn't supposed to be. Like, meaning, I, like, that, that was very odd for the chief to make that call that he would have somebody of my rank out on the road, right? It just doesn't happen. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I'm pleased to be joined today by Kim Ledgerwood. Kim is a Canadian resident who's had an over 30-year career in law enforcement until a traumatic experience on the job threw her into active addiction that quickly spiraled out of control. Now a successful business owner, Kim shares her story about her recovery and the impact that trauma can have on your addiction. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I am so glad to have you on. When we chatted on the phone, we really had a, a great conversation about the role that trauma plays in addiction. And I want to talk with you about your story. And you have such an interesting story. It's not like a story you hear every day, right? And and I'd like to say, well, you know, where did this all start? I know you had a traumatic experience that kind of kicked off uh, addiction for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes. So I was in my um, 29th year of my policing career and I had been positioned in a, a spot that I'd put myself in, meaning um, I did not think that I would be exposed to anything more that could harm me in the ways of things that you see over the years in your policing career. But um, that summer there had been an order from the chief because there had been a lot of gun violence in the city and my position, my rank was, um, was required to be out with my platoon on a particular night of the summer of 2018. So for that weekend, it was the last night working. It was probably, we were working an 4 p.m. to a 4 a.m. shift. So I was about, it was about 10 o'clock. I was in my police car when a citywide assist call came over the radio. Um, and it was probably one of the, the one of the most critical incidents that has hit um, the city of Toronto ever. <laughs> so um, that was one of the calls that my team was called out to and we went to it and let's say that it was kind of the straw that broke my back. Whereas I thought perhaps I was out of harm's way at this point, having so many years in and only, you know, looking forward to a, um, a retirement, you know, healthy. And then, yeah, that took me by surprise. I thought that after that night when I had gone home that I was okay, but I wasn't okay. And it happened to be on the last night when there was, uh, we had five days off and then you go back in for another shift being a shift worker. So during those five days off, um, I proceeded to, yeah, um, drink a lot more yeah. than, you know? Yeah. And yeah. 
not realizing really why, but it just made me feel better. And I didn't have to think about what had happened, um, the, you know, five days prior to that. And then it was time to go back to work. And I, I, I went back to work, but then for the next three months, I knew I wasn't right. I I knew my, my addiction was going through the roof. It was, it was like, I couldn't stop. I was going to work. Some would argue that I was a functioning, you know, drinker, but really there is no such thing. You, yeah. You, you know, Kim, looking back, obviously, you know, and I, and I want to make, you know, people that are listening to this are saying, wow, all of a sudden a traumatic experience can, you know, cause an addiction issue for you. But that's not really how that works, right? So you you kind of had addiction kind of going in the background, but it was more manageable. Then the traumatic experience kind of pole vaulted it, if you will, into something that was a little bit more serious. Yes, absolutely. Um, I didn't think I had a problem before with addictions um, because I thought I had everything under control. But when this incident happened, it, it didn't take long for me to realize I didn't have anything in control. And I was just kidding myself. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine. Did it? Did you feel that it kind of took you by surprise? You know, because I think a lot of people that are fighting addiction issues, especially in high stress uh, careers and, you know, being a police officer, I don't think there's anything more high stress than that. You know, a lot of the things are life and death. You probably deal with just a general overall anxiety and stress anyway when you're on the job. And then, you know, I think a lot of people feel, well, hey, you know what? I'm going to drink a little bit. I'll have a little good time. It's going to reduce the stress. And then soon find out that it's kind of spiraling out of control after you hit this traumatic experience. What were some, what were some of the signs um, that uh, that you saw when things went from manageable to unmanageable, what were the things that you that you noticed? Well, um, I was a social person, um, and then I started to isolate. I wasn't accept. I was accepting invitations. I was even going as far as to buy tickets, and then I knew in my mind, though, I was going to cancel within an hour of the same night, so I wouldn't have to deal with people questioning me as to why I wasn't going to this or going to that. Um, I also uh, didn't go out anymore. I didn't want to associate with people. I started cutting off people in my life. Um, mm -hmm. I just would have no motivation if it was my days off. I would just sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day and drink and it would roll into another day. And every day I would say, I'm not going to do this tomorrow. And every day mm -hmm. that I woke up in the morning, I'd say, I'm not going to do this today. And I couldn't stop. And I did. Do you think it's easier? Do, do you think it's easier, especially as a police officer to say, you know, okay, I get, maybe I'm suffering from this dramatic thing that happened to me. Maybe I am suffering from trauma, but maybe it's just trauma and it's not alcoholism, right? It's not addiction. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just the trauma, right? I, it, w did you find that to be a battle? Because I know other people that I've spoke with that have had traumatic experiences that it had already kind of, they were set up uh, already kind of in addiction, but it just, it was manageable, let's say, right? And then the traumatic episode happens 
they spend most of their time kind of going back and forth saying, well, you know, if this traumatic experience didn't happen, then I probably wouldn't have any problems at all yeah. with, with alcohol. What that is, is denial. <laughs> yeah. That's a convenient excuse. And, and that's, that's why uh, we don't get help because we, we're actually, we're, because we're the answer givers, we're the caretakers as being police officers. We're very good at taking care of other people and telling them um, what they should be doing or how to take care of themselves. But then when you turn the tables on us, it doesn't work so well, even though that sounds ridiculous. It's, um, I, I wouldn't call it a pride thing. It's more of a, it was, a, I started with the police service so young that it was, it was, it was what I was taught really. I wasn't, I was taught to um, not show emotion, to not cry to um after a hard day of work we would all go out for a drink you know like and so then you learn that that's how you dealt with these things that happened during the day that you saw and then we all would share what we saw to each other because you would never say that to your family when you went home they don't want to hear about this stuff so who do you get to talk to you talk to your fellow officers and god forbid you would make an appointment with a psychologist or a therapist like Wow. If you did that back in the day, you know, they, they, they wouldn't, it's not, it's more acceptable today. I would say we've come a long mm -hmm. way in society in general, in the, in the, in the acknowledgement field of mental health, you know, of realizing that people, mental health is just as important as physical health. And there is a lot of mental health issues out there ranging from like a whole bunch of you know, one end to the other. Yeah. And addictions goes hand in hand with many of them. Addictions is almost like a separate entity as well, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know, Kim, that the friends that I have that are in law enforcement that are in recovery, you know, tell me that uh, addiction runs rampant in, 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 in most of the police department divisions, right? There's a, a large amount that the, 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 focus is over the years has been getting better and better and better mm -hmm. that's gradually progressing but that so much of that job is about control that you know being able to be in control of yourself being able to be in control in really on you know bad situations situations that uh would make anyone nervous like you know life-threatening situations that that level of control it's very very hard after you've been practicing that for years and years and years of being the person who is in emotional control to then say, Hey, I have no control with addiction. I'm out of control with addiction, right? It kind of runs, it's, it's opposite to the whole messaging that, that, uh, that is, uh, prevalent in, in law enforcement. Yeah, absolutely. We, we are, like I said, we're the caretakers. So in order for us to admit, it's, it's almost like admitting defeat, you've been beaten, uh, yeah. you need help. And that that isn't something that officers do easily. And it wasn't something that I would have admitted to either until I hit rock bottom and there wasn't there. I knew that if I kept doing what I was doing, I, I was gonna die. Yeah, so how did you get out of this? Because most of the people that I have spoken with th that have been in, in, in law enforcement that have had trauma, that have had to also deal with addiction simultaneously. It was a very, very hard road because 
culturally on one side, you don't really want to say anything because then you are stereotyped basically as somebody who has problems, right? And is not in control. But then at the same time, you obviously need help. How did you find that balance and how did you start to kind of, you know, how did you start to get onto the the road of recovery? Well, not easily. I fought it. Um, after it took actually four months. Um, it was three months after the incident, whereas I was going to go for a promotion at work and I had done everything up until that point, uh, just prior to, to line myself up for that. I had gone back to school. I had just finished my master's. Like it, it was, everything was perfect. And then when the timing and I was, I was, so this was, that was July when the incident happened, when um, I had to put in my application, it was probably October and I couldn't do it. After all that time, after years of this is what my goal was. I, all it was, I just had to fill out an application. I didn't even have to do anything much that day. I, I couldn't do it because I couldn't even fathom going through that process. And I knew mm. what, because I already knew I, I wasn't right, but I hadn't taken it anywhere, you know? And then that moment was like, whoa, what's, what's wrong with me? This isn't like me. You know, I'm the overachiever. I'm the, I'm the one who never quits. I, I don't stop for anything, but I was, it was like, I was like, I knew, I knew. And I, I didn't want to challenge myself mentally because I, I felt like I couldn't take that on right then. So I think it was a few days later I'm at work and um, I knew that I had, I had taken off some sick time between then and, and at this point, And I had just taken regular sick. You know, I, I had just taken regular sick, but I knew it was related to the incident. And part of another job that I, another hat that I wore when I was at work was on the critical incident response team, which means my job was to be called out when I was on call to critical incidents and make sure that officers were okay and that they had the information they needed in order to follow up with a doctor or so forth, right? Like I knew where I could get help, but I didn't. So I... um I took my own advice and said, Kim, you have to lead by example and you need to make it aware that that time you took off sick was a direct relation to what happened to you prior in July. And when I did that, that raised red flags because otherwise nobody knew. And then it was asked to me if I had seen a doctor yet and I hadn't and I booked it and uh, I had to wait. So I got in to see my doctor in December and within 15 minutes, she told me I was not going to work again. Not forever, but to me, I mean, I, I was not expecting that. I'd never not worked since I was 13. It was that alone was a complete emotional shock to me. Because again, then you feel like you're a failure. You feel mm-hmm. like every your whole world is crashing down because I took a step forward to get help. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, yeah. so everything that I, I put in my mind, if this is going to happen, if I do this, this is going to happen, if I do this was coming true, you know? So at the time I thought it was the worst thing that it had ever, that was ever happening in my you life. Don't, it almost seems like the way they presented it to you, it was a punishment almost. Okay. Thanks for being honest. You've had trauma. You've got these issues. Guess what? You're not going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. And then it makes you think, well, well, yeah, I shouldn't have said anything because my life would just be the same that it was. And I could go to work and you know, life wouldn't be upside down, but 
but I did. And so it had already started. The wheels were already in motion. I didn't have a choice and this is what was going to happen. And then, so I wasn't working at all and I was living by myself. My daughters were off to university and college. So guess what I did even more? Mm-hmm. My addiction, because uh, I had the money, I had the means, I had the time, you know? Um, and I think a month went by and it's progressively getting worse, right? And of course now I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to go anywhere except to go to the doctors or go to the addiction clinic. But as soon as I would leave there, I hit the liquor store on the way home. Yeah. And that's what I would do, right? I only had to see them once a week uh, until I, I was sitting on my couch and I, I realized that um, I'm done. I, I can't, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to die here. I'm going to die here on the couch. And my father was an alcoholic and he died from his alcoholism when I was 12. Hmm. And I resented him for it. And that wasn't my reasoning for, for, you know, saying enough. <laughs> but now that I look back, I don't resent him anymore. Like I, I've, over the last two years now, I've realized that what he had was a, was a disease and he couldn't stop. He said he wanted to stop. He didn't. I always thought he chose the bottle over my mom and I, but he didn't, you know, it, it was a disease. And I realized that when my daughter said to me, mom, why can't you just stop? And I said, because I can't, if I could, I would. So, yeah, you know, education, it's, it's, it's strange. Look, you know, probably looking back, you know, when, when you talk to people who do not have addiction problems or have never gone through an addiction problem, they say, well, you know, it seems pretty obvious. You know, Kim, your dad was an alcoholic. You're, you're drinking. You've had this traumatic experience. Things are spiraling out of control. Do you think it possibly could be this? But, you know, obviously, like everybody with active addiction, you don't see that. You, you, no. you, you don't really see that, right? You see other things. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, I saw enough that the next time I saw her, so it was about a month after me being off work and I, and I brought it up to her, my doctor. And I said, okay, I need help and I need to be locked up. Mm -hmm. Basically. I said, I need to go to a rehab, my choice, my decision. She didn't suggest it. Nobody forced me. I chose to do that. And the reason was because I could, I had no control over myself. I needed rules. I needed structure. I needed, I needed P tests. I needed accountability. Um, and I, I needed rules because I left to my own devices that I could do anything I wanted. How could I couldn't even see how you could have a fighting chance when you're by yourself and you live by yourself and you have addictions. Cause that's the whole point. You can't do it by yourself, you know? Um, and that's, that's what I did. And I went into a rehab (laughs) and I stayed, uh, I was there for an eight week program that had, um, it was for addictions medicine plus, um, uh, trauma. And then after eight weeks was over, I thought because they had many different programs happening there, I thought, you know what, I'm here and I have cumulative PTSD. (laughs) and I think I should stay and take that program and try and do more. So I had, uh, my last drink was May 13th, 2018. So I'll be two years sober this May. So that worked. Did you know there was only a 20% 
uh, success rate from rehab. So like, I mean, and it doesn't, I mean, I'm so very happy and proud of myself that I've maintained that, especially through COVID. Absolutely. That's you an know? amazing, that's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, I, you know, I was going to, you know, going back to the trauma, um, you know, they're finding now through a lot of different studies that people with addiction have had past trauma, right? Either as a child, right? It could be a death in the family. It could be a traumatic experience happened to a child or even as an adult that actually triggers trauma. Looking back, having been, you know, having recovered from both, right? Alcoholism and addiction issues and trauma being an act of recovery. How, how are they similar? How, how is, is there a, is there a similar thinking pattern behind trauma and addiction? Um, well, that's a hard one. Um, well, addiction, addiction, you, you can't, you can't stop the habit, whatever it is, but I mean, trauma, trauma will, I mean, definitely led to my addictions. There was a definite, um, correlation between the two of them. I don't know that everybody that experiences trauma, it will lead to addiction, but I think this, this, the stats would point to it's very high. Um, for me, like you mentioned, uh, childhood trauma. I definitely did have childhood trauma. I did before I even started on the police service. But before you get hired, you know, they interview you. You you do these things. You do um, tests, psychological tests, so that they can weed out people who might have potential problems down the road. But the problem with that is you could have a perfectly healthy person going into this job and uh, it could take two minutes on the job and they could experience something that has set them off. You know, like everybody's threshold when it comes to, to trauma and how they react to it is different. And it, it really doesn't have anything to do with the exposure that you've had before that. You know, I'm not saying that I wasn't, I didn't feel, um, anxiety and trauma, like trauma at work because I'd already experienced it before the job. You know, what happened with me is, yeah, you experience it again and again and again, basically since I was, um, 19 years old, like it's been more than half of my life has been, you know, besides your holidays you get from work has been like, you can imagine how many, how many times do you think that people are happy to see the police? You know, like we're, we're yeah. we get called into to awful situations for everybody involved. We are yeah. still people. We're not robots, but we're trained to be robots. And yeah, you're you in know, a really, you know, you're in a really hard position. Do you think now, you know, now that you have, you, you know, now that you're in active recovery, and you're doing the thing and, you know, and I'd like to also talk about how your life has changed. It's been amazing. Um, your, your amazing success. Do, do you look at, you know, you probably had dealt with people who were in active addiction all throughout your policing career, right? Do you look at them different now? Do you look at people different now? Well, I could tell you that when I honestly, like me, um, it's hidden very well, right? Because mm -hmm. as a supervisor, if I knew somebody was an active um, if I knew for a fact somebody was in active addictions, I have an obligation to 
intervene and try and help them, you know? Um, I can say, just like me, I'll guarantee you, no, well, nobody, why would I be in the position that I was of authority if anybody suspected that I was suffering the way that I was? You know, Mm. they would not have promoted me. And why? Because we're all very good actors and actresses, because everybody protects protects themselves and their well-being, you know? Um, So what's your life like now? I mean, you have really reinvented your life. Uh, you really did a 180, right? You're, you're no longer a police officer. You're out of that. You have a successful business. Tell us a little bit about what recovery has been like for you. Well, like I said, it hasn't been easy. Um, the hardest part was when I first got out of rehab. That was very difficult because you're, you're, you, now you're not under the umbrella and the you don't have big brother watching over you. You're basically on your own again, right? I was put mm-hmm. exactly in the same spot that I was four months prior to going in. The only now was that I had four months of sobriety under my belt, um, but I still could do anything I really wanted to. I could break that. So that was difficult, but I, but I, I kept it. I did it, um, mm-hmm. not without not without having to say no to a lot of invitations because I did not want to put myself in a position. I didn't feel strong enough yet. I didn't feel strong enough that if somebody went here, would you like a drink that I would be able to say no. So as a result, I, I chose my sobriety and I would stay home and not, not go. But as time went you know, on and on and I felt better, um, I felt more comfortable. One of the biggest things was going out. Like I didn't realize how much alcohol plays a part in everyday life. Like you can't even go out to eat dinner or lunch and now some breakfast places without the first thing that the waitress says to you is, can I, can I get you a drink? Here's the drink menu, or it's already on the table or it's on a big chalkboard. When you walk into the place, you know, Hey, I just wanted chicken wings. I don't need beer with it. You know, like, but there was a time when, oh my God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it one without the other, you know, and you, you, you just learn these patterns. And then it's funny since then my circle of friends have changed. Now the people I hang out with are, they don't drink. They're sober. And the people that I did hang out with, um, they feel the need to apologize when they're drinking in front of me. And what I've been told is, they're not sorry they're drinking. They just feel now they have to account for the amount that they're drinking when they're with me. Like I'm, you know what I mean? Because they, they realize that eh, you drink a little too much, you know, whereas when I was a drinker, there was no too much. Like mm-hmm. we all drank too much together and nobody judged anybody. And that's how it was. And that's how, that's how you feel good about yourself. And you don't think that you're an alcoholic or you have a problem. You know, um, Tim, what advice would you give to somebody who is out there that maybe has realized that they're they're suffering from trauma and also suffering from addiction? Get help because it's not going to get any better. It is not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. And there is nothing shameful about asking for help because, well, like I did and I did. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. I was angry, angry that I was even at that call. Because like I said, I wasn't supposed to be like, meaning I like that, that was very odd for the chief to make that call that he would have somebody of my rank out on the road. Right. It just doesn't happen. But I do also believe that it was meant to happen. 
Because had I not had that happen and I just finished my career out, I wouldn't have dealt with anything of what I've dealt with in the last two years during, you know, all of my help that I've been getting. And I'm a better person mentally. I'm a better person physically. I'm a better person, like, as a person. Mm -hmm. I can cry tears now, like crocodile tears. I have empathy again. (laughs) I have feeling. I love people. I want to be around them again. I want to talk to them. I want to help them. I want to learn. Like, the reason I was a police officer is because I wanted to help people. Like I've done service for the last 30 years. So now in my retirement, I'm continuing it. Except now when I go knock on somebody's door, they're not like, ah, it's damn cops again. Right. They're, they're like, hi, I'm so glad to see you come in, you know, and I don't have to watch my back that somebody's going to try and jump on it and hurt me. Like I'm so happy now. Right. And sobriety, there was a time when I thought you couldn't live. Like, how can how can sober people live? I don't understand. I thought it life's no fun without alcohol. Well, now I'm like, man, wasn't that sad? Like, how can people how can people just depend on alcohol all day? Like, I've done a complete turnaround to where now when I feel that everybody has it, you know, you have that icky feeling. You have like whatever you have a fight with your mom or your wife or or your kid. It's an un, unsettled feeling. Well, the first thing that would ever come to me with an unsettled feeling is I need a drink. I need a drink. Now I don't do that. Now I go. Now I now I sit in that uncomfortable feeling, and I use the tools that I learned to deal with that uncomfortable feeling. And you know what? It goes away. It goes away. And I'm healthy on the other end of that 10 minutes that it took to go away. But I never let it, I never let it go away before because I didn't know the tools. I was never taught. So Kim, where can they find out more about you? Well, they can go to my website for my business, which is www.crazywatergirls.com. All one word. And uh, you'll get links from there and you'll find out all about me. Thanks so much, Kim. Thanks so much for coming on the Recovered Life Show. Thank you. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.